Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable, and that's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back, and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of South Korea, where I just had an amazing meeting together with individuals that I've been working in North Korea with for almost 15 years. One of the guys that I met together with, I have not seen since he was released from a Chinese prison. He was... An individual that actually he was the person that I first traveled into North Korea with. He, he, he was arrested and thrown into prison in China, uh, was held there for a while. I have not seen him since he was released. Before he went in, he had a head full of jet black hair. Now today it is all, every single strand is pearl white. Even his eyebrows were white. But man, it was good to see him. And he is older. He's about in a retirement age. And we were working together on several projects that we are doing inside of North Korea. And he looked at me and he said, I want to do something big before I leave North Korea. Let's do it together. So right now we are assembling a team. I cannot even give a hint to you about what it is that we're doing inside of North Korea because it might be dissected from those that are listening to this podcast to figure out what it is. And I don't want to risk it at all because right now the Chinese have a, an excellent opportunity to work and, and set up churches inside of North Korea. This has been the worst I've ever seen North Korea, the worst. Just a week ago, there was a soldier that was caught. If you, if you go onto YouTube or you go into the news and you Google this, you'll be able to see the actual live video. I encourage you to do it. For those of you that haven't seen it yet, basically there was a border guard inside of South Korea that jumped into a vehicle and made a mad dash like a man of steel trying to make it across the most heavily militarized border in the world, the 30th parallel, separating North Korea and South, and South Korea. Nobody, nobody crosses that border. This guy did. He got into a vehicle. He gave it gas and he drove for like he's like, you ever, I used to have this golf cart in Hong Kong and we shared it with another family and it was always breaking down. And one time it was, it, it had just come back from uh, being fixed. And the guy that we rented it together with, he is a captain with Cathay Pacific, a good friend of mine. Uh, our kids grew up with his kids. We, we lived right beside each other and um, they, we shared a golf cart together for many years. And the reason why is because golf carts in Hong Kong are stupid expensive 
they're about the price of the nicest Ferrari that you can think about even driving. So just to rent it, it took two of us coming together uh, in order to rent. Today, we can't even touch those golf carts. Those golf carts today in a small community in Hong Kong costs about – if just by renting is about um, 2000 US dollars per month, something like that. If you want to buy one, it's a good quarter of a million dollars. For an old beat up 1980s golf cart. I kid you not. And the reason why is they only allow a few of them in this small little golf cart community. And so the value of them is based on their limited ability and or their, their limited avail- availability. And because, and their limited ability, I guess you could say as well, because they're absolute junk. They're like these par, these, I don't even remember what, par car. Does that sound right? I can't remember the name of it, but it's something like that. So these old 1980s blotchy looking plexiglass windshields, um, dirty white, uh, and, and, and smoke coming out the back. There's a hill in our community that when you drive up, these things barely make it like go, 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 trying to make it up to the top of this hill. That those those golf carts are are not easy to maintain because they're so old. And so my friend he put up a, a sticker on it that said "Drive it like you stole it." That's how this guy in North Korea was driving that government vehicle. He was driving it like he stole it. So he drove it until he couldn't drive it any further. He got out. And these North Koreans began to pursue him, shooting at him something like over 40 times, five times they hit. At one time, you'll see in the video, you'll see one of the North Korean guys, it looks like he trips and falls. He doesn't. Anybody with military experience would know that what he's doing is getting into the prone position to take a shot. Because if you are in the standing position, that is your weakest position for taking shots. Because what happens is, is that you have no bone on bone contact to be able to give the proper support for a rifle in order to take your aim. Now you can take an aim, but it's much harder and your distance is much shorter for accuracy. You get more accuracy when you get more bone support, when you get more muscle support. So then if you go down and you take a knee, now you have more accuracy than you do when you are standing. And if you go into the sitting position, now you have bone on bone support for both of your elbows into your inner thighs and you can get a better, more stable aim with your rifle. This North Korean throws himself on the ground and immediately goes into the prone position, which is an, the, the sign of an excellent marksman and a very well-trained military person. Because in the heat of a chase, he had the wherewithal to think, I will get a better shot at this, this person that is running away from me if I throw myself on the ground put both of my elbows onto the ground so that I can get full on support so I can take a good shot with with bone and muscle support and then also controlled breathing. Excellent. Uh, and that's probably when the, the guy that was running got hit five times because he was shot five times. And you see him laying there on the other side of the wall in South Korean territory. And <laughs> you see the North Koreans chasing this guy and they actually run into South Korean territory, giving the South Koreans 
all the justification that they need in order to take a shot. They could have killed those North Koreans, but they didn't. And so these North Koreans, they run across and they're like, oh, I'm in, I'm in South Korea, I'm in South Korea. And they keep, they're running around in circles and they don't know, should we go back? Should we keep chasing? And, and they're literally confused. And the reason why is that in somewhere deep inside of their head is the military training that is telling them, if you do not stop this guy from escaping, you will probably be killed because that's what your commander told you over and over and over again. Nobody comes across or goes across that border. They don't come in from South Korea. If they do, they get shot. They don't leave from North Korea. If they do, they get shot. So you see these guys like running and, and all of a sudden it hits their mind like, oh, 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 what do I do? Where do I go? And they look like, they look like guys that really have to go to the toilet. Like they're, they're, they're wanting to go forward, but they can't. So they go back, but they realize that I can't leave this guy and let him go. So they go forward again and they turn around, they come back and they're just kind of running around in circles. You can see there's massive chaos taking place with the border guards when they come together and basically try to talk about what happened. Heads are going to roll after that incident. You'll probably never hear from those commanders again, ever. What they did was a crime that will probably cost them their lives. And then you see the South Koreans actually low crawl up to the wall, grab this guy, risk their own lives, bring him back, fly him to the hospital. Unlike the North Koreans, unlike the North Koreans, they are not going to beat him. They're not going to try to hit him with a phone book to cover up ailment. They're not going to treat him like a college student that stole a stupid sign and, and beat him until he can't talk and make and render him unconscious and then send him back to his family so that they can watch him slowly die. And the pain that he went through, he is completely incapable of telling them because he's been beaten so bad. He's been beaten so bad that his mental and, and physical capacity to share information with those that he loves the most, to tell them about his final hours of life, is completely gone. Gone. He's not able to do that. That's not what the South Koreans do. That should tell you everything you need to know about the differences of those regimes. Now I know most people know the difference already. You don't need me to tell you the difference. But the reason why is you got these stupid morons out there that are like, well, actually, they're not as bad as you say they are. If you look at the the U.S. government, they also don't tell the truth. They also treat their people pretty bad. They don't. The people in North Korea, at least they have health care. Oh, my goodness. So they start doing this moral equivalency game like they do in uh, Israel and Palestine. They do it all the time. And that's how the enemy hides its lies and keeps people like North Korea in complete bondage because you have stupid morons that are able to come out with these crazy ideas and then trick people into thinking that what you see is not really what you see. What you think is right and wrong is really not right and wrong. And then you walk away thinking, you know what, forget it. I don't want to deal with it. But what they actually found with that soldier tells us a lot. One, they found that he had hepatitis A and B. Two, he had tuberculosis. And three, he had worms inside of his body that are about the, the length of your forearm. Malnutrition, his organs had started to shut down 
and they found traces of uneaten or uncooked corn. Well, what does that mean? Uncooked corn in his stomach. His commander was basically telling him because what's happening in North Korea is people are starving. And because the military is starving, they're telling the military that they can go out because they're supposed to be guardians, guarding certain fields, certain fields with cash crops like corn. And so you have a farmer that has a field, but not to worry, the, the, the army is going to protect your field. But instead of protecting it, they're wandering into the middle of it and then they're eating the corn secretly because stealing is punishable by death, even if you're stealing food because you're hungry. And so they're eating the corn directly off the cob in the field to stay alive. No cooking it, just directly off the cob. Now, this is really bad because here's the thing. This is a soldier that had a lot uh, he's in an upper class, and, I, and I'm going to be talking about that in our next podcast, about the different class systems of the North Korean. I don't think I've ever heard this. In, what I'm about to share, I have not heard uh, about in any podcast or in not many articles, but definitely not in a podcast, not in any sort of North Korean – and I'm not saying that it doesn't exist in any sort of North Korean documentary, but I'm saying that I haven't seen one, and I've watched several of them. So there could be a few that I haven't seen, but in the next podcast, I'm going to share about the different class systems. This soldier's in an elite class. He is given a lot of responsibility to be able to be on the border of North Korea, to be able to hold down the fort inside of North Korea. He's been given a lot of power, a lot of trust, and he's got to maintain a certain high level of loyalty. So if he's starving, if he's suffering from malnutrition, if he has to eat stolen corn uncooked, can you imagine what the normal people are going through? Now, the truth is, is that they're not even getting real reports inside of North Korea right now. There's no way Kim Jong-un even knows what's going on with his country because when he get, when, when the people that report to Kim Jong-un give bad reports, they end up dead. So I don't know exactly what they were saying, but I do know that North Korea has stopped sarcasm. They've made sarcasm. Kim Jong-un made sarcasm illegal. So it's illegal to be sarcastic. The reason why is because Kim Jong-un feels – this is according to the reports. Kim Jong-un feels that people only agree with him ironically. <laughs> people – I don't think people are really agreeing with my ideas. I think that they're, they're only saying yes and not meaning it. And it's kind of like it. Can you imagine being in some of the meetings with Kim Jong un and having to agree with, because you're not allowed to disagree. He's basically a deity and his ideas are the best ideas. They're great ideas until sarcasm is outlawed. Can, can you imagine those, those meetings? Dear leader, your handling of the situation with the North Korean food supply has been amazing. You've never done anything better. You're so smart. All of your ideas are good. <laughs> Dear leader, have you lost weight? <laughs> 
Dear leader, that's an amazing haircut. You know what, dear leader? Your idea of setting off a nuclear bomb under our own country? Oh, that's just plain genius. I don't know. Hey, dear leader, start a fight with Mad Dog Mattis, the Marine Corps general that is now in charge of the most powerful military in the world. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's no wonder sarcasm has been banned in North Korea. His meetings must have been hilarious. Because his ideas are so bad that the only way to agree with him is in an ironic kind of way. So right now, it is the tightest grip on North Korea that I've ever seen. It is the hardest to work inside of North Korea that I've ever seen. And there are the fewest foreigners working inside of North Korea that I've ever seen. And there is a change in policy. The world may not agree with the change of policy, but I have to tell you the way that Donald Trump is currently handling North Korea, at least it's a change because what's been taking place so far is that extortion has been paid by the rest of the world to keep North Korea from developing weapons. And it's made us feel like we're actually doing something when the only thing we are really doing is propping up his regime and buying him time. You may not know this, but in 1985, let me, let me just do this really quick. And I know that most of the listeners may not know the general timeline. So let me just refresh your memory really quick to tell you how we got here. So I'm going to walk through a, gen a generic, easy-to-remember timeline with North Korea. And the way that I'm going to make it easily remembered is we're going to walk through the different phases of the last 25 years since we've been paying this payoff. It's almost like a mob payout. Since, since we, have, we, we have been paying extortion money to the mob in North Korea. So in 1985, under Reagan, North Korea joined the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, which was basically this grand idea around the world to lower the number of nuclear arms inside of a certain country. Now, this was in 1985. This was under the Reagan administration. But less than a decade later, the International Atomic Energy Agency in 1994, said, hmm, I don't think North Korea is actually keeping to the signed nonproliferation treaty. So we would like to send some people in. Basically, North Korea said no. So in 1994, so 1985, you have the Reagan administration, right? And he's fighting against the Soviet Union uh, through the Cold War by outspending, making them spend, because he knows, he knows just like with North Korea, they don't have the money to be able to keep up with the arms race. Their economy is based on socialism or based on communism. It's not really making money. It's losing a lot of money and they don't have the money to be able to maintain a society and this arms race at the same time. So, he outspends them, builds up the military, they build up theirs, and they're not able to keep up, and that's the end of the story. So in the 1990s, when Clinton was president of the United States, what happened? Well, you had the fall of Soviet Russia. 
And with the fall of Soviet Russia, when they ran out of money, they were not able to give any more money to China and North Korea. So that's, that's kind of the first stage that you see. The fall of the Soviet Union. That's the first stage. With the fall of the Soviet Union, they, the Soviet Union was not able to put money inside of China and North Korea. Now that's how they were able to keep those two regimes propped up. That's why in the 1960s, basically, North Korea was more wealthy than South Korea. It seemed that way because North Korea was being given money by the, by the Russians. And they did that to entice others to want to become communist. Because the only way you can really trick anybody into being a communist is to lie to them, is to tell them things that are not true. Tell them that you, everybody deserves healthcare. Everybody will get free healthcare. Everybody will make the same amount of money from the waiter who works his butt off to the doctor. The doctor's not better than the waiter or the trash man. So the trash man and the waiter will make the same amount as the doctor. And everybody will have the same kind of house to live in. So housing for everybody. Everybody gets equal housing. Nobody gets better housing than the other person. Are you sick and tired as a poor person watching the rich neighbor across the street get a big house and you get a small house and you know that you work harder than him. Are you sick and tired of the, every time you need to go to the doctor, you have to pay an arm and a leg and you should be able to get it for free. The doctor should just give you free health care. Are you sick and tired every time you need medicine, you have to pay an arm and a leg and you lose half your money because you have to pay for medicine. Wouldn't it be nicer if we just gave it to you as a government? And so these ideas caught on to the masses. But what happened was that money ran out. When the money ran out, there, there was a facade that was kept up for a while inside of Russia, but after a while, it collapsed. Ah, if you can just get everybody just to be forced into believing what you want them to believe because you're so much smarter than they are and they're so entirely stupid that they don't even know what's good for them. So we have to come in with guns and force them behind walls and live according to our system and they better like it because our system is the best. And that other stuff that you see out there is just nothing but greed. And you need to be thankful for having the little amount that you have and be thankful for standing in line waiting for bread and be thankful for waiting in line for hospitals that no longer exist and doctors that are no longer trained. And so Russia was not able to give any more money to China and to North Korea. Now, China had already taken steps together with the Nixon administration and with some of the Henry Kissinger deals to start opening up the southern part of China connected with Hong Kong known as Shenzhen. So they had this special economic zone that started to grow where they used capitalistic principles and employed them in small little controllable areas. And you know what they had to do in Shenzhen? I remember those early days. I remember traveling around the Guangdong area, people going in and going out were kept out because the economy was booming so fast, so furious that people were risking their lives to get in on that action. So China had to set up borders within their borders. They had to set up borders within their borders to keep people from trying to all of them moving down to the Shenzhen Guangzhou area because everybody wanted to. So I remember that they had these, these guard facilities that your car would drive through. You had to stop and show ID in order to pass through. And your ID had to say that you had legal residency in that area. Now that's still kind of the law. It's not really enforced because now almost everywhere is like a special economic zone today in China because it works and China loves it. So they adopted it. Well, North Korea really didn't adopt it. So when the money from Russia ran out, North Korea really didn't have anything. So what North Korea did as most 
mobsters do is they decided instead of starting up our own economy, we'll take those that have their own business and tell them that if you don't want us to attack you or if you want our protection, as the mob would say, then you have to give us money. And we'll come around every week and collect that money. Well, that's what happened in 1994. They basically, the mob came knocking on President Clinton's door. And they basically said, listen, Clinton, if you don't want us to attack you, what you're going to have to do is give us money. Now, we made it all political. And what we said is they had to tear down their nuclear facilities. They had to, they had to ban their, their nuclear, uh, program. They, they had to stop studying on how to build up nuclear, uh, militarization on, uh, bombs that can reach the United States, et cetera, et cetera. So if you don't want us to do that, if you don't want us to quit the nuclear nonproliferation treaty, what you're going to have to do is give us money. So in 1994, Clinton signed a deal with North Korea that said, one, we will give millions, millions of dollars of aid and millions of dollars in aid assistance, tens of millions, hundreds of millions in aid and aid assistance if you stop developing your nuclear war. North Korea said, yeah, we'll stop. Absolutely, we'll stop. Give us the money. And we'll keep you safe. We'll protect you. Capiche? So in 2002, President George Bush labels, if you remember, he gives a speech and it was really attacked all over the place. He calls the axis of evil North Korea, Iran, and Iraq. That was 2002, 15 years ago. It's still pretty true because he says by seeking weapons of mass destruction, these regimes pose a grave and growing danger. That's still the case, except for Iraq. Iraq has is dangerous to the world community, but not like Iran and North Korea are. The same year, the Bush administration reveals that North Korea has admitted operating a secret, secret nuclear weapon program in violation of the 1994 agreement. By that time, North Korea had already collected $1.3 billion, and that's just in direct aid. That does not include all of the hundreds of metric ton uh, uh, oil that had been sent to North Korea. In 2003, after George Bush said what was already the case, North Korea withdraws from the nuclear proliferation, non-proliferation treaty. Well, you kind of weren't really abiding by it anyway. So it's good that you just at least was became honest with the rest of the world. So... Later on, the United States confirms that North Korea had reactivated a 5-megawatt nuclear reactor at its facility inside of North Korea capable of producing plutonium for weapons. In April of that year, North Korea declares that it has nuclear weapons. And when they said it had nuclear weapons, guess what? Everybody said they were years away. Years away. It would never happen. They were at least a decade. 2006, a couple years later, North Korea successfully tested its first nuclear weapon. The test prompts a UN nuclear council to impose a broad array of sanctions, none of which were really adhered to by China and Russia. 
This was in 2006. 2007, North Korea agrees to close its main nuclear reactor in exchange for an aid package worth $400 million. Yeah, we'll keep you safe if you pay us money. Capiche? That's when we start getting into the six-party talks with Beijing, North Korea, South Korea, Japan, America, and China. So these six-party talk, talks become a bit of a faddish thing like, well, the more people we can add that really have anything to do with it, the more we will actually see progress because we'll all be able to talk ourselves to death. Well, North Korea was able to negotiate money as well as removing themselves from a list of states that were listed as states that sponsor terrorism. So they were able to remove themselves from that list in 2007, but they didn't change anything. They didn't change anything. It just made politicians feel good that they were able to show to the world that they were doing what it took to be able to bring peace, when actually all they were doing was submitting to a mobster that demanded money for peace. And they weren't really giving peace. They were taking the money and using the money to help them develop their program. The program would have never developed without the money that was coming through in the form of aid. And it wasn't even going in as aid. It was being put into the hands of the United Nations. And the United Nations representatives, I know because I've worked with them, the UN United Nations representatives inside of North Korea were North Koreans. So you had the people that were supposed to provide oversight to make sure North Korea adhered to the policy of distributing the aid when they didn't actually answer to the United Nations at all. They answered to the North Korean regime. I don't know. If I was in North Korea, I think I would fear the North Korean regime a little bit more than the United Nations. In 2012, the State Department in the United States, the United States State Department announces that North Korea agreed to a moratorium on long-range missile launches and nuclear activity at the nation's major nuclear facility in exchange for food and aid. This was under Obama. So again, they had missiles. Westerners went in or the six-party talks or the international community went in and was able to negotiate a deal to basically, can you, the only thing that this money was actually doing was saying, can you hide it better? But while they're giving money, while they're giving money to North Korea in 2012, they, t they did another nuclear test. This time in 2012, it was the first time that it was carried out under Kim Jong-un. Three weeks later, the United Nations orders additional sanctions and protests. That's great. You know who else should outlaw sarcasm? The UN. 2015. In an exclusive interview with CNN, the deputy director of North Korea think tank says that the country has missile capacity and the ability to strike the mainland United States. But many experts said they don't. North Korea then said that they have the ability to miniaturize nuclear weapons. But the international experts said that they don't. The North Korea media said that the country has added a hydrogen bomb to its arsenal. The international media said they didn't. In 2016, North Korea says it successfully conducted a hydrogen bomb. White House spokesman Josh Ernest says that it can't really be verified. 
North Korea claimed to have detonated a nuclear warhead. The administration in the United States at the time said, well, it can't really be verified. In a television address, Kim claims that North Korea could soon test an intercontinental ballistic missile. And they did. Everything that they said that they could do, they did. They did it. They said that they could have nuclear, they could have nuclear power. They did. They said that they could deliver on a warhead. They did. They said that they could, they could build an intercontinental ballistic missile that would reach the United, reach the United States. Last week, they just proved that they can. The only people that seem to be really telling the truth on the world news platform is the North Koreans. When the North Koreans say that they can do something, it seems that most politics or mo- most politicians are ready to break their neck to say, no, it's not true. It's what they're telling you is not true. We're experts and we say that North Korea still has another decade before they can deliver an intercontinental ballistic missile to the United States. So don't be alarmed. We, the experts, have everything under control when they don't. They don't have everything under control. And that is why sarcasm should be banned whenever I do a podcast on this kind of stuff because honestly, North Korea is in one of the most dire states that I have ever seen. And we have proof. And the proof comes with the class system. And we're going to talk about that in our next podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of South Korea. God bless you.